you would, turn with me in your copies of Scripture to John chapter 3. We're continuing through our morning series. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jonathan have been moving through this book, and this is my first opportunity to, uh, to get to preach on John, and, and, and I'm super excited. This is a great passage, one that is maybe very familiar to some of us, um, but I hope that as we come near to God's Word, uh, that we would still be open and receptive to the truth. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of our God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel And yet you do not understand these things. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing now. Father, as we draw near to your word, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see the truth. Lord, open the the, the ears of our soul, that we would receive this, this word with joy. Father, Father, please incline us to see the beauty and the delight of your word, that it would be sweet to us as honey, that it would not be bitter, Lord, but that we might be refreshed by your truth. Our God, we we thank you for this time, and we pray that you would bless us in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some reason, it seems like the songs that tend to stick with you throughout your life are those that you heard when you were a junior or senior in high school. When I was a junior, the song Beverly Hills by the band Weezer came out, and I heard it wherever I went. Those of you who don't know it, I promise not to sing it, but here's a few lines. It says, Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be. Rolling like a celebrity, living in Beverly Hills. Maybe you have heard that. And you would imagine, and as you would imagine, uh, the, the lead singer goes on to extols the, extol the many virtues of being a celebrity. Fast cars, a big house, and most importantly, someone else to clean all of it. All the earthly blessings and prosperity you could imagine. But the last verse 
takes a turn and the lead singer resigns himself saying, the truth is, I don't stand a chance. It's something that you're born into and I just don't belong. No, I don't. I'm just a no-class, beat-down fool and I will always be that way. I might as well enjoy my life and watch the stars play. Prosperity and blessing is just out of reach. Might as well just resign yourself to obscurity. Now this this 2005 hit may feel very far away from an encounter in Israel 2,000 years ago, and yet this gets to the main idea of the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. But the stakes are much higher than the, in the song. The topic of conversation is not how do I receive all earthly blessing, rather the heart of the conversation is how can I enter the endless blessing of God's kingdom. Jesus' answer is that of Weezer's. It's something that you're born into. But instead of seeing this as bad news, like the song, I want to show you that in fact, it's the very best news that you could hear. You must be born into the blessing of the kingdom. I want to explore this good news with you by asking Four questions prompted by this passage. Four questions that help us to see how being born into the blessing is the best news we could get. The first question is, who is this Nicodemus? Jesus we know, but who is Nicodemus? John tells us four things we need to know about Nicodemus. First, he is a Pharisee. Look at verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And whenever we hear Pharisee, we we take that immediately as a negative thing. That's not necessarily the case. The Pharisees were those who took the law and the righteousness of God seriously. The problem was is that many of them took it too far and thought the righteousness they could gain from the law would, would make them right before God. But compared to the Sadducees, they they actually believed in the resurrection of the dead, something we believe in as Christians as well. We see not only was he a Pharisee, though, the second thing John notes is that he was a ruler of the Jews. And and that that doesn't mean that he was emperor, that doesn't mean he was governor, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish judicial body. They didn't have a great deal of authority, but they still heard cases and handled disputes according to the law of Moses. These were skilled rulers and teachers. They, they knew what the law was about and could actually render judgment on the basis of that law. We see that the Sanhedrin is actually the body that that, that delivers Jesus over to Pilate. So, so they did have a kind of authority, but they, they could not put Jesus to death. And this might explain why, why we see this third thing that John notes, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now this is no mere time marker. Obviously, whenever you go to do something at night, you're, you're trying to ob- obscure what you're doing. 
He's trying to hide himself in some way. But especially in the Gospel of John, when John notes what time of day it is, something spiritual is happening there. And so what we're meant to to draw a connection to is Nicodemus is one walking in the night rather than the day. Something is missing. Something is not quite there. And his statement to Jesus reveals that there might be more going on. He, he doesn't quite get it, but something is taking place. And that's the fourth thing that John notes. John notes that, 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 that Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi. That is, teacher. And he says that, that he is a teacher from God. And it's likely here that, that Nicodemus is, is thinking that, that Jesus is like one of the prophets anointed by God to deliver some sort of message. We also, he also notes that Jesus does signs that, that, that verify Jesus' claims in his message, just as the prophets of old performed signs that, that proved their message was true. So, so likewise, Jesus performs signs and it, it points to his message is true. So he appears to be interested in Jesus, but these, these claims that, that, that apply to prophets, they, they don't go far enough to define who Jesus is. We see Nicodemus is an impressive man. Someone who, who every parent would want their child to grow up to be. And yet it appears that he is missing something. He lacks some understanding. And before he can ask a question, Jesus gets to the reason for Nicodemus' nighttime visit. Look with me at verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus responds to the question of Nicodemus' heart before he can even ask. And Jesus' statement is a, a bit shocking if you think about it. It should prompt in our mind two more important questions from our passage. The first is, what is this kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking about. And if you've ever read through the Gospels before, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Over 50 times Jesus talks or teaches about the kingdom of God in those three Gospels. But here in the book of John, this is the only time John records a, a teaching about the kingdom of God. Whenever you come across the only time something happens in a book of the Bible, that should alert you to something important is happening. What is this kingdom of God? Well, it's not just that, that Jesus made up this term kingdom of God. Jesus is actually reflecting on a great deal of Old Testament teaching that, that speaks to God establishing a kingdom at the end of days. We could think particularly of Daniel 7 or, or Zechariah 9. I want to just focus in on one of these passages. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. 
We typically read this around Christmas. I know I said the word, and I'm sorry, parents, but we can get a little taste of Christmas now, right? Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The prophets envision a coming king whose everlasting kingdom will be marked by perfect peace, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, and unending prosperity. I think we all want to live in a kingdom like that. Imagine, no inflation. Incredible. It's so very far from our everyday experience. The prophets in Jesus want us to see again and again that kingdom life is the truly blessed life that we all deeply want and yet seems to elude us. That is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. So even though kingdom of God only appears in this one place in John, it would not be inappropriate to read the kingdom of God when we see the phrase eternal life. When you see that in John, think kingdom of God. As Gerhardus Voss notes, the kingdom and life, that is life eternal, are interchangeable conceptions. Our Lord speaks of entering into life in the same sense as entering into the kingdom. They're synonyms. So if that is what the kingdom of God is life, it is eternal life, perfect life, we can understand why Nicodemus wants to know how to enter in. And that gets us to the second question prompted by Jesus' response to Nicodemus. What does it mean to be born again? Rather than describing something that Nicodemus must do or achieve, Jesus says that something must happen to him, namely, be born again. And again, that's not very straightforward as you see Nicodemus, you know, think through the dynamics of that. How am I, who is old, supposed to enter back into my mother's womb? Some of you moms, I'm sure that that's a horrifying thought to think through. But we see that Jesus fills this out. He explains it as he continues to to help Nicodemus in his bafflement. We should note, and and you might see this if you have your copy of the ESV open, that there's a little note that says, born again could also be read as born from above. There seems to be a play on words. Both born from above or born again fit within context. And so that should lead us to believe that that there's some intentional wordplay going on. The idea is that we need, whichever way you go with this, we need new life something that's foreign to us, to come into us. That's how we get into the kingdom. Jesus says, we need to be born of water. 
To be clear, this, this, doesn't, this isn't the biblical endorsement of the practice of water birth. If that's what you're into, that's good, but that's not what this passage is referring to. Rather, as Herman Bovink suggests, it is a birth that has the character of a renewal, a purification of which water is a symbol and confers the existence of a new spiritual life. So here we see a connection here with John's baptism, which was a baptism of cleansing and repentance. Jesus is highlighting that we need a new existence marked by purity and righteousness. We also see that he says that we must be born of the Spirit. And again, this is the same idea Jesus is speaking to. In contrast to flesh and blood, uh, we must be born of the Spirit. And this doesn't mean that the material world is bad or that our bodies are bad. If we must be born from above, we must receive new life from heaven. As Paul reflects in 1 Corinthians 15, the first man was from, from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Jesus is saying, what you are needing is not another natural thing to happen. Not something that comes about through the ordinary processes of the world. Rather, what you need in your life is something supernatural, something to divine to come into your life. Jesus elaborates on this to say that being born of the Spirit is not something that we affect. Rather, the wind blows where it wishes. And again, there's some wordplay here. Wind and Spirit are the same word in Greek. The wind blows where it wishes. The Spirit goes where He wishes. We can't predict, nor can we contain the Spirit, Rather, the Spirit does as He pleases. It is according to His work, His exertion, not ours, that we would be born again. If we bring together all Jesus has said about being born again, we might summarize it this way. In order to enter the kingdom of blessed life, of God's reign, The Spirit must renew you spiritually from death to life. By nature, we are dead in the trespasses of our sin, each one of us. And you may look at yourself and say, well, I don't really feel dead. But spiritually, every one of us born into this life is spiritually dead. Even though our our outer selves are alive, We're dead in our innermost principle. And what we need is to be made alive within us. That's not something that we can affect. That's not something we can do. That has to be the sovereign work of God who is himself a spirit. We cannot earn our way into God's kingdom. We need God to intervene and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and holiness and unholiness and give us new life. 
That is what Jesus is teaching. That is, that is what is driving this passage. And that's the chief takeaway that we should have. And so that prompts a, a fourth question as we reflect on these things. How is this the best news that we could receive? How is it the best news that being born into blessing is good for us? This is why. The endless blessing of the kingdom is not something that we bring about in our own work or our will. It is a work of the Spirit that we cannot control. We can't do anything to earn the kingdom. And thank goodness, because if it were up to us, we would fail. Each one of us, population of kingdom of God, one, just God, none of us. If it's up to us earning or meriting, we could never do enough because of our sin, because we're, we're spiritually dead. We can't do the spiritual good, and so we can't earn our way in. The kingdom is not accessible based upon our gender, our race, our nationality, our income, our zip code, our place of work, but on the sovereign working of God to change us. It doesn't matter who you are if the Spirit blows into your heart and renews your, your spirit, then you belong. You belong to the kingdom. That is so unnatural, right? How many of us are kept out because of who we are? Maybe even circumstances outside of our control. We just don't belong. But through the work of God's Spirit, we can. We can belong. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done. And to be clear, while Christ's kingdom is manifested in this life in the church, ultimately the deep blessings of the kingdom do not come from being born of the flesh into a Christian family. They come by being born again by the Spirit. Every person needs spiritual renewal. That includes you children. That includes you who were born into the church. We all need spiritual renewal to enjoy the deep blessing of the kingdom. Like a baby being born cannot contribute to its being born, neither can we contribute to our spiritual birth. It's something that has to happen to us. For every Christian, there is, as Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is why this is the best news that you could ever receive. It's not about you earning it. It's a gift of God's grace to you. Now, you might be hearing this and thinking, that doesn't sound like good, to, good news to me. That sounds scary. That's alarming. This can sound scary to us because it, it means that we're not in control. We are not the one in the driver's seat. It means that we are not the authors of our own destiny. Rather, God is. 
We are not the captain of our lives. We are not valiant victors and heroes. We are not the center. God is. For some of us, that, that can feel so uncertain and, and maybe even a bit arbitrary. I know for a number of you, you grew up in a church where this teaching was not seen as good news to be delighted in, but scary news to be feared. It was used to question whether you could know if you were truly born of the Spirit, whether you were truly regenerated. So you were encouraged to question and fear and doubt. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this passage is not meant to lead us into greater fear, but greater freedom. Being born from above, being born of water and spirit is not some arbitrary whim of an unconcerned and unsympathetic king, but from the kind and compassionate, loving Father we have in heaven. Is it not as Jesus said in Luke 12, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom The Father's good pleasure. His delight to give His kingdom, the kingdom of blessing and life, to His children. Because God loves us. The Father has given us the kingdom. And He did so in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ died so that we might live. Christ received the curse that we might receive the blessing. Christ the Son came as a Son of Man that we might be made sons of God. That's the logic of the incarnation, of the crucifixion and resurrection. And it is this resurrected Son, this resurrected King who ascended into heaven and abundantly pours out His Spirit into our hearts that we might be lavished with every spiritual blessing, including eternal life. So when this passage gets twisted to lead you to fear and sadness, brothers and sisters, you can trust that that isn't from your Father. It's from from the Father of darkness, who intends to rob you of joy, to steal from you the freedom that you have and to see you still functioning as if you were still in bondage. Your Father loves you far more than that. This kind of doubt, especially when it was sown into your heart early and often, can be hard to shake. But let me encourage you again and again to look to Christ and see the ultimate sign of God's love for you. It's not about you being perfect. It's not about you earning God's love. He loved you and sent His Son that you would belong. He did that for you. Not because you were worthy, not because you were pleasing, but because of His great love with which He loved you. That's why you belong. And if you, if you struggle in this area, let me encourage you, month of December... In the evenings, we're going to be considering assurance, the assurance of salvation in the evening sermons. I I would encourage you to come during that time, that, that you might have your faith encouraged, that you might cling more closely 
to your Savior Jesus. Now before I go, I want to speak to one last group of you, and that's those of you who find yourself in Nicodemus's shoes. Maybe you're unsure of what I've said, but you're intrigued. Maybe you have belonged to the people of, of the church for some time. Maybe you even consider yourself a, a bit of a teacher, and yet you are still baffled. You're still confused by Christ. Let me encourage you to draw near to Christ, to find out more of who he is. Keep seeking Jesus out through his word. Please come talk to, to one of the pastors or elders. We would love to tell you more of our, our gracious Savior. Jesus is not merely some good guy, not merely a good teacher, not just a prophet sent by God as we have seen in previous parts of the Gospel of John. He is God himself taken on flesh and he has come full of grace and truth. And if you confess him as Lord and Savior of your life, if you were to renounce your sinful ways and receive the cleansing only Jesus offers, you too can enter the kingdom of God and you can receive the blessing of knowing him for all eternity. What joy we have in Jesus. Let's go to him now. Oh, Father, how sweet it is to call you Father, that you have so set your love upon us that you have not forsaken us, but you have loved us and sent your Son that we might be made sons of God in him. Father, we thank you for this joy and blessing. And we do pray that we would rejoice, that we would delight in the knowledge that we could never earn your love. We could never earn your blessing and favor. But because you loved us, you have qualified us. You have, you have, you have brought us into the kingdom. What joy that is. And Father, we do pray that you would work that delight in our hearts. That we would not be a fearful and bitter and doubting people. Constantly questioning your love. But help us to see and help us to grasp the heights and depths, the lengths, the width of your love. That we might be built up further in the faith, Lord. That we would share this love with others. That we would, that we would encourage those Nicodemuses in our life. And, and we pray, Lord, for those who, who maybe have come or, or are listening online who who are, are still seeking to understand. Lord, please honor their desire to draw near to you. Lord, grant them life eternal. Lord, we, we thank you that you freely and joyfully give the kingdom to your children, Lord. We thank you for this joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.